Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our lesson this week deals with the problem of Christian suffering, a very practical thing to study for the child of God, as this world is still a veil of tears. We must never forget that although God sent one man into this world without sin, he sent no man into this world without sorrow. And the sinless man was, according to Isaiah, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Very often Christians have severe and fiery trials. Some are affected bodily, others are mentally, some financially, and others in direct or indirect attacks by Satan. Men are calling out to God, why? Why do I have to suffer this? And uh, the modern demoniac charismatic uh, approach toward this thing is you don't have to suffer anything. If you listen to the average radio broadcast today, you will find the modern demoniac Christian is telling other Christians that you don't have to be poor, you're supposed to be rich, you don't have to be sick, you're supposed to be healthy, and you're supposed to have what you want when you want it. This is a satanic teaching. The Bible says, All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29, For unto you it is given the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. The matter doesn't end here. When Paul speaks about trouble for the Christian, he speaks about physical trouble and mental trouble, as well as other troubles. Paul tells the body of Christ in one place to comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak. But it goes much stronger than this. For example, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, Remember them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Talking about bodily trouble. The greatest Apostle the Gentiles who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, said in Romans chapter 8, and he said it very clearly, verse 18, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And when this great apostle spoke about suffering, he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For tribulation, he had it. Or distress, he had it. Or persecution, he had it. Or famine, he had it. Or nakedness, he had it. Or peril, he had it. Or the sword, he had it. Shall these separate us? Nay, in all these things, not getting around them, not getting by them, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Suffering is the common lot of every child of God. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Our Bible states clear facts. One, you have the opportunity to believe on Jesus Christ. And number two, you have the opportunity to suffer for his sake. Now, this suffering, of course, should never be for your own faults. The great book on Christian suffering is First Peter. And if you're talking to a Christian who's going through a fiery trial, nothing could be more of comfort to him, I suppose, in the Bible than First Peter in the New Testament and Job in the Psalms in the Old Testament. The teaching that every Christian is to be healthy, wealthy, and wise it is a satanic teaching of an apostate church. It is the Laodicean uh, balm of Gilead, which is a false balm and not from Gilead, given to raise income and keep up with the standard of living which in America has gotten so high <clears> that unless a man cut corners, he can't keep up with it. So preachers, in order to keep up with the Jones, have developed the peculiar habit of telling people that faith will solve all the problems where they won't have any more problems. May I say as kindly as I know how, some of you people are cuckoo. Somebody's blown out your pilot light. 
Christ said, while you're in the world, you're going to have tribulation. When God called Paul, he said, I'm going to show that fellow how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And if that weren't enough, you were told by the Holy Spirit in language you couldn't possibly misunderstand in First Peter, that Jesus Christ was to be your example in suffering. Now, why the modern uh, people who fake the gifts of the New Testament keep avoiding these verses is rather hard to understand. When you pin them right down, the hypocrites say, well, that suffering there is just talking about persecution. It's not talking about your health. Some more non-biblical nonsense. Paul was sick all his life. When he died, he had a registered physician in jail with him. Luke, called the beloved physician in Colossians 3. Luke is with him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right before he dies, 2 Timothy 4.11. And his buddies he left sick at Miletum, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Now, don't get mad at me just because you want to get well so bad that you'll believe a con man. I understand. If a man is really sick and really hurting, he'd almost rather do anything to get well than stay sick. When a man is really sick and hurting, he'll almost sell his soul to get well. I understand that. God understands it. God knows if some of us had to go through the trial some of you people go, we'd probably faint by the way that some of you people go through. I understand that perfectly. Nobody's throwing any rocks. What I'm telling you is that Paul was sick all his life, 2 Timothy 4.11, that he gloried in his infirmities, his sicknesses, 2 Corinthians 12. At the end of his ministry, when the apostolic signs were no longer in effect, he left one of his buddies at Miletum sick, 2 Timothy 4.20. Read it. Don't you get mad at me just because you won't open your Bible. And he told Timothy to drink a little bit of wine for his stomach's sake and off with infirmities. 1 Timothy 5:23. Don't you get mad at me because I recommended a medicine, you rascal. You get mad with God for writing those things against your theology. 1 Timothy 5:23. Read it. 2 Timothy 4:20. Read it. 1 Timothy 5:23. Read it. 2 Timothy 4:20. Read it. I've got to repeat it for some of you hard heads. You're not going to read it anyway. You're confirming your own ignorance, and you couldn't be uh, changed from your opinion any more than a fool could be changed his opinion if you braid him in mortar with a pestle. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, you are told that Jesus Christ's suffering was an example for you. First Peter 3, 21. And somebody said, well, he never was physically sick, so that isn't our example. Paul was your example, and Paul was physically sick all his life. You say, where does it say that Paul was your example? Don't you know? Didn't you read 1 Timothy? Didn't you read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern of them which should hereafter believe on him the life everlasting. The greatest Christian that was ever lived was sick all his life while he was healing sick people and raising dead people. Now, that's something to think about, isn't it? Huh? All right, then, let's get this thing clear to start with. We believe in healing. Any Christian does. We believe God can heal. Any Christian believes that. We believe that God can heal when the doctor can't. Any Christian believes that. But we go beyond simply believing that God is a glorified bellboy to take care of our problems. We know from reading the New Testament that Christians suffer all kinds of trouble and that anything can happen to a Christian that can happen to an unsaved man in this life. 
Did you hear what I said? Anything that can happen to an unsaved man can happen to a Christian in this life. Now, some people get, get an idea when they get saved, their troubles are over. To the contrary, when some of you got saved, your trouble just began. The privilege of believing on Christ is coupled with the privilege of suffering. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, Not merely may I know him in the power of his resurrection, but that I might know the fellowship of his suffering. Jesus Christ suffered. His financial needs were not met. He didn't have enough money to buy a grave. Do you understand? His financial needs were not met. When he died, he had no buildings, no property, no real estate, no title deed. And he didn't die in a hospital bed. In Bethlehem, Jesus was misunderstood, cursed, and blasphemed. In Gethsemane, there was a bitter trial. He was smitten, lashed, spit upon, cursed, crucified, called the devil, called Beelzebub. The sun smote him. The rain soaked him. The cold chilled him. Thirst parched his throat. He was kicked and hounded and hunted across this earth like a renegade anarchist for three and a half years and died capital punishment as the death of a criminal. And you're going to get out high and dry, are you, sonny boy? Hast thou no wound, no hidden wound, on hand or foot or side? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar, no wound, no scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can one have followed far who has no wound, no scar? I doubt it. I doubt it. Our sufferings are very light in comparison with eternity. Paul said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 To some life is meaningless, for it consists only of turmoil, trouble, pain, suffering, and tears. But the true trial of God, turmoil, trouble, pain, and tears have a plan. For God has a purpose in each life, and although heaven is the place for understanding, earth is the place for trust, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, how does suffering come? Well, first, through our own mistakes and our own sins. Peter says, If any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but it's no glory if you're buffeted for your own fault. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The man who has committed murder can be forgiven of God, but he still must suffer prison for his crime. I would dare say 95% of the troubles we have, we suffer for our own mistakes and our own sins. The man who ruins his body with liquor must still reap the effects of a body that has been weakened or wrecked by sin. I mean, whiskey will ruin your brain, and wine will ruin your stomach, and beer will ruin your liver. We accept even these punishments from God and search our hearts fully to repent and seek grace not to repeat these terrible things. Next, sometime we can suffer by the mistakes and we say, why did God allow him to say that terrible thing? Well, no trial or affliction can reach you without his permission. If you were born blind because of syphilitic parents, you're suffering by the mistakes of others. If you're born into a 
land where they're idolaters. The Lord said he'll visit the iniquity of those idolaters, the third and fourth generation of them that hate him. When you put idols ahead of God, you suffer the fate of the populations of Italy, Spain, South, and Central America. Idolatry is a sin that God said he would visit for four generations. Sometimes you are suffering in the mistakes of others. Now tell me something. Is this unjust in view of the fact that some people are suffering for your mistakes? You see how people are? They're perfectly willing to cause trouble in this world other people, but unwilling to suffer for the trouble caused by the people. Now, if there's any unsaved educated fellow listening to my voice, I can tell you what your philosophy is without even talking to you. Your philosophy is this. I believe that a thought enjoy life and do the best he can as long as he doesn't hurt anybody else. It's all right. Haven't you heard that before? That is the talk of a deluded fool who is sowing sin, death, and hell every day of his life. He fancies not hurting other people because he has deceived himself. And other people are paying for his sins every day. Number one, he isn't leading him to Christ. That's the sin of omission. Number two, he isn't getting the things he should have by prayer because he's not in fellowship with God to get prayers answered. That's a sin of commission and omission. And number two, he's leading people away from God and Christ by his daily example. That's damning other souls. That's the sin of commission. You can always tell these educated fools by the way they talk. Well, the way I believe, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. Now, listen. When you hear a man 50 or 60 say that, you mark it down. If you went back in that fellow's life in detail and checked all the letters he wrote and all the letters he got and let all the skeletons out of his closet from Germany, France, Italy, Africa, the Philippines, Korea, Japan, and Vietnam you'd find one of the dirtiest, hellish, damnable lives that an unsaved sinner ever lived. Of course you're going to suffer for the sins of others. Others suffered for your sins. Now, if that's not the case, we're not through yet. For example, it's possible to suffer through God's providential dealing. These can be the most incomprehensible to the troubled soul that you can imagine, and he can only call out why. When Jesus Christ suffered in Calvary's cross, he suffered for your sins. But he had no right to suffer for your sins and no reason to suffer for your sins because he was sinless. God does not promise to give us the reason for all of his actions. Christ cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I'm sure that cry has gone up from many a torture chamber, many a prison camp, many a death ward, in a hospital, many a death sale in a prison. But even the deepest afflictions, the born-again child of God can rest assured that he has a loving Heavenly Father who is going to work all things together for his good. John the Baptist was mightily used, but later was imprisoned. You know what he was supposed to do when he was in prison? Go right on trusting God like he did before he got there. Don't you know when John got put in jail and Paul got put in jail, all the leading orthodox, orthodox fundamental scholars of the day said, uh-huh, God has cast him on the shelf and put him on the ministry because he was a hell-raiser and a troublemaker, and now you see what God has done to him. Let that be a lesson to you. 
Let me tell you something. The old whitewashed Pharisees didn't run out of whitewash in the first century. They're with us today. Now, why do sufferings come? Well, first of all, as a result of sin. Sin comes into the world in Romans chapter 5 and Genesis 1 and stays with us. Jesus told the fellow who healed, he said, Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon me. Sickness is often the result of sin. That might have been sick 38 years. We're not saying all sickness is because of sin, but Miriam became white as a leper for murmuring against Moses, Numbers 12:10. Asa was diseased in the feet and refused to trust God for his healing, 2 Chronicles 16:12. So sometimes sickness is the result of sin. Then sometimes sickness is the work of God that God might be glorified and made manifest through healing, as in the case of John 2, 3. Well, the disciples want to know who had sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind. But Jesus gave the startling answer, neither one. This happened so Jesus could heal him as a testimony. So when other people are sick, don't cruelly judge them and say, well, what sin has he committed this time? The Lord may make a Christian sick for any number of reasons. For example, God can make a Christian sick to produce holiness. If God wants to make you more holy, more godly, more like himself, It'll take the fire of suffering to do it, for he that has suffered in the flesh shall cease from sin, and God chastens us that we might be partakers of, our, of his holiness. That isn't all. It's to our profit. It's for our profit. Suffering is for our good. After all, what's the difference between an oyster without a pearl and the oyster with a pearl? Why, it's suffering. Suffering produces the pearl. It's the result of the secretion of a... Uh, an infected or diseased organism in the inside the, the oyster. What's the difference between a diamond and a piece of coal? Pressure. So when you people pray for God to heal you every time and pray for money all the time and get it all the time, there's one thing for certain, you're not being turned into anything worth anything. It is pressure and suffering and tribulation that produce the diamond and the pearl and the worthwhile Christian. All they that <clears throat> live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Suffering is one of God's choicest fertilizers to increase the harvest. You know why some people suffer? Some say people. I'm not talking about you unsaved people. We'll get to you in a minute. You say people, you know why you suffer? To make you heavenly minded. There's a commandment in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, that isn't obeyed as far as I know, but one charismatic I've ever heard anywhere in the world. In Colossians 3, 1 to 3, you are not told to love gifts. You are not told to love your ministry. You are not told to love your experience. You are not told to share your experience. You are not told to get funds for your radio program. You are told to set your affections on things above and not on things on this earth. And God will take many a godly, dedicated, consecrated, spirit-filled Christian and put the lash to him till his affections are in the right place. I wouldn't be a big enough fool to think that all sickness is because of lack of faith. I'm just not that big a fool. The man who had enough faith to heal people with pieces of apron and handkerchiefs, Paul, didn't have enough faith to get out of jail in 2 Timothy 4. Don't you kid me. The man who had enough faith to raise Eutychus from the dead after he followed the law didn't have enough faith to heal Timothy without medicine. Don't you kid me, kid your grandmother. Don't you give us this stuff. You Christians always worry about the nice, polite, sweet way to say a thing, 
and choice sound words, Don't you give us the shaft, sonny boy. Don't you tell us all sickness is due to sin, and don't you tell all sickness due to lack of faith. You go kid those suckers like yourself with that stuff. There's one born every second, according to Barnum. The greatest Christian that ever lived was sick all his life and had a position in jail with him when he died. You know what Christ said? I'll tell you what Jesus Christ said. He didn't just say, according to your faith, so it be it unto you. He said, those that are sick have need of a physician. Why don't you quote all your Bible instead of just part of it? Jesus said, those that are sick have need of a physician and not those that are well. You surely read that in the Bible, didn't you? How could you have possibly missed that one? You say, where are you quoting from? I'm quoting from Matthew. In the book of Matthew, that bunch came around. Jesus Christ said, I'm not come to call righteous the sinners to repentance. And in Matthew 9, 12, 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 Jesus Christ said sick people needed a physician. And he wasn't referring to himself in the passage. You say, how do you know that? Because Luke, a medical doctor, is called the beloved physician by the Holy Spirit. Of course, you know what that verse is, don't you? Colossians 4.14, Colossians 4.14, Colossians 4.14, Colossians 4, verse 14. You mean to tell me the Holy Spirit would call a man a beloved man if he was in a devil's profession? Don't you? You've been reading so many reliable translations, the clear language of the people, you just about lost your mind. Did you know that? Some of you Christians have been shedding your expedient so long with the shedding experience of the gifts of the gifts of the gift that you're just about half crazy. You know that when it comes to the truth? The truth is all sickness is not from the devil. The truth is not all sickness is due to lack of faith. The truth of the matter is all sickness is not because of sin. And the truth is that God will use sickness in the life of a Christian to make him heavenly-minded, to help him sympathize with others, to let him become partaker of Christ's holiness, to have power in his life, and to prove that God is all he needs. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. You don't need the healing. And three times Paul asked God to take the thorn out of his flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he said that thorn had to do with bodily, physical sicknesses. Quote, infirmities. You say, where did he get that from? From the passage. You say, what did the passage say? Do you mean to tell me you don't know? Some of you people spend all your life being sick and trying to get healed and don't even know that Paul's bodily sickness was a bodily infirmity? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and verse 10. If you didn't get it, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, where infirmities are not reproaches, infirmities are not necessities, infirmities are not persecutions, infirmities are not distresses, infirmities are infirmities. As infirm, or in the army, infirmary. Is that clear? It's clear in a King James 1611 authorized Bible, and that's why most of you didn't know where it was. The purpose of suffering, then, for the Christian is not merely punitive. 
It is designed to bring fruit for God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His work. Our response to suffering, we may despise it, which we shouldn't. We may rebel against it instead of submitting, but this attitude will only lead to hardness. On the other side, although we should not despise it and rebel against it, at the same time we shouldn't faint under it. We shouldn't quit. We need not, for the Lord has said, My grace is sufficient for thee. God will give the Christian grace to bear the thorn, the trial, the suffering. If you merely bear it, that's victory, but that's low victory. But if you happily yield to the will of God, embrace the will of God, and thank God for your progress, this is the highest form of victory. This is claiming the promise that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And thanks be unto God that always calls us to triumph through Jesus Christ. Two of my best friends are Christians. They're in wheelchairs. They've been in wheelchairs for 20 years. They'll die in wheelchairs. Not because I don't have faith or because you don't have faith. Don't you hand us that poke, son, to get an offering out of us? We know what works to support which one to leave alone. They'll live in wheelchairs and die in wheelchairs, and God will give them grace and victory in that wheelchair as they come bold to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> Two of my best friends are born-again to save Christian people who've been flat on their back in beds, one of them for 30 years, one of them for 10 years. They are as fine, powerful, spirit-filled, sweet, thankful, grateful, godly, dedicated Christians as any professional healer in the business. And if I may add so, at least 500% more godly than most of them. I will say it again and say it till it's stuck in your crawl. The greatest godliest spirit-filled man that ever lived in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, had fleshy infirmity all the days of his life, which was never healed and answered any prayer. He was not backslidden. He was not unfaithful. He was not ungrateful. He was not thankful. He wasn't suffering for somebody else's sins, and he wasn't suffering for his own sins. I mean, God, all, God Almighty knows for every Christian he whipped, he got a whip mark back. He paid for his sins through persecution all the days of his life. But he did not degrade and violate his body physically before he was saved. Before he was saved, he followed his conscience and was blameless as touching the law, Philippians 3. But he was sick all his life, and he had to carry Luke with him all his life and die with Luke standing by and ministering to his physical disabilities. Now, if you don't like that, lump it. But quit throwing away your money and your livelihood on men trying to convince you the reason why you're not healed is your lack of faith, when it may be, I didn't say for certain, it may be, don't you misquote me, you old slander, it may be that the trial and tribulation trouble God has given you to bear, he intends you to bear as a testimony to his grace and power and strength, and testimony to the fact that a Christian has grace to put up with things that an unsaved man could not get through. This will make honor and glory to God, and this, of course, may be the purpose and the particular suffering you're undergoing. May God give you grace. I love you. I sympathize with you. I feel for you. If I were with you, I might weep over you. But don't change the counsel of the Word of God for any reason. Believe God, obey God, submit to God, love God, and may God give you grace to be a glorious testimony for Him, is my prayer.